Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Nazir, daf Samach Hey, page 65. We got one more. This is the second to last daf of the Masachet. Then we are going to begin Sota, and then on April 2nd, we'll have our very quick seum to wrap up Nazir. Wish you all a good Pesach in person, and we'll be underway already with Sota by that time. Um, I'm going to start now with the Mishnah on the bottom of the Samach Dalet that leads onto the top of Samach Hey. Hamotzi met batchila, mushkav kedarko notlo et tfusato. Shnaim, okay, we'll continue there in a minute, one second. So we have here a person who finds a dead body and it says, tchila, for the first time, meaning he finds one dead body at a place that's not a cemetery, right? There's no reason to think that there would have been a dead body there. And it says, Mushkav Kedarko. The body is lying in the way of Jewish burial, meaning it's clear that this is somebody who was, uh, you know, soon to be in the process, right? The, this is the burial. This is correct, so to speak. The person who finds this dead body, you know, recognizes that it's there in this manner of usual burial, Jewish burial, whatever. He takes it along with some of the dirt, right? Because the whole it, the whole thing is that this seems to be a body that was buried there, but it's just by himself, like without there being an actual cemetery. If you're talking about a cemetery, then you don't just like randomly move bodies, right? But and there's also doesn't seem to be any concern. It's not like he's going to go looking for other bodies. This is all from the commentary, but the point is that you know he's doing something to rebury this dead body in a way that would be, I suppose, more dignified. Fine. Then goes on. Shnaim, meaning he finds two bodies, notlan et fusatan. Now, now he removes them and also the earth, like some dirt with them, right? The same way. The, the Mishnah doesn't expand on this any more than the previous, the previous case of the one body. But, matzah shlosha, if he finds three dead bodies in one place, im yesh benzelizem ma'arba amot, va'ad shmona, shunat kvarot. But he finds three dead bodies buried and the space between each of them is somewhere between four and eight amot, cubits, right, whatever, then that, you're looking at a graveyard, meaning that is, you know, the possibility of that being a cemetery. Now, the, okay, so this seems like, <laughs> yes, the previous staff talked a little bit about, you know, what happens when you come in contact with two mates, but we're going to understand what is happening in this Mishnah, what is it here in this last bit of the Mishnah that's now on Ahmed Aleph of the new daf. And what happens if you see that you go out from there, this place where you've got this, you know, small graveyard, and you find, you go out 20 amot. And then at, by the end of the 20 amot, you find another dead body. The sophistry mama. And then now the question is, you know, what are you, what are you looking at, right? Is this, a, is this a graveyard? Is this random burial? What is happening here? So you, so you check out for 20 amot. You find another dead body at the end of the 20 amot. You check another 20 amot, right? Because now what's happening, and this is the key phrase, meaning you have a basis to assume that you might actually find another dead body because that's what's been going on here. And the key phrase here, that there is a, there's a logical reason, there's a good reason to, to um, 
presume, right, to even go to check it out, you'll recall, right, you talked about this a few days ago, in the same kind of, um, I, I guess, when I, it's, it's a basis, it's a rational basis for what you're doing. Because what happens is, right, if you just find that one body by itself, the one that's 20 amot away, then he might have just removed it with the earth, right, with the ground around it to, to rebury. And you would never know that you're really within the this ancient graveyard, whatever it is. The whole idea of, and then you can't remove the, the bodies, right? If you just found one by itself, you could move the bodies. If you find a whole graveyard, or even a small graveyard in this category, then you don't move the bodies. Um, but I, it's a really strange placement of the Mishnah. It's not discussing Tuma in this context, right? Impurity. It's specifically here as an example of a case where you have raglaim ledavar, where your experience gives you, you know, a good reason, a, a solid basis to continue your check. And that's a kind of strange organizing principle for the Mishnah. Even like uh, in the Gemara, we've seen this kind of thing, right? Where one, you've got this associative um, language leads to the next discussion. But it seems to be happening here, even in the Mishnah. And the Gemara here kind of, like kind of ignores that at least in the beginning, right? It goes back to talk about this idea of what happens. You find the dead body and that's, you know, that's really what it focuses on um, at least for a while, for a good amount of time of this Gemara. Um, I, I don't have a solid understanding of why this is here as opposed to somewhere else beyond this phrase. And my assumption is that this was the best place to put it in all of Shas, that there wasn't really somewhere else that made more sense, although I'm not sure why. Dana? Yeah, no, I, I, my understanding is it basically just appears here because the previous Mishnah also employs the term of Raglayim Ladavar, so while we're talking about Raglayim Ladavar, we'll bring you other halachot that use a similar line of thinking. Look, I also think we have been talking about Tumantara and right, you know, that's fair. this this sort of you know in a, a in a certain way relates to that as well, right? Like this whole idea of like you know, can you remove those bodies and why were those bodies placed there? Um, especially because we had started from a place of like finding an unexpected body. That's where sort of our whole discussion had started. Like another member who was who had shaved and then find this unexpected body. So I, it, it I, I do think it sort of does make sense that it's here. I actually think it's the the next missionaries that sort of go even farther off topic. <laughs> so take it away. Okay, so I'm going to do the next two that are here. So uh, the mission now is going to discuss sort of uh, doubtful or uh, when somebody has saras, when somebody has, again, bad English translation of leprosy, um, and it's not clear that they, uh, that they have this. So this Mishnah doesn't use uh, the phrase of sharaglaim lezavar, um, but the cases that it discusses, right, uh, that we'll see sort of are going to be um, parallel to the next Mishnah, which is going to use the phrase Shiraglaim with Davar. So that's what I mean, that this seems to get even more off topic. So it's the next Mishnah that's going to go back to our theme of Shiraglaim with Davar. Um, and so it says the following, So if there's any doubt concerning uh, Tzaras, but when that doubt is there from the beginning, meaning there's a doubt whether, uh, you know, you, it, if this saras is actually one that would make a person of tame before the saras has actually been 
confirmed and we'll explain in one second how, what that process is. Tahor, then the person is considered Tahor. As long as this person has not been confirmed to be Tame. Misha Nizakak Latuma, once he's been confirmed to be Tame, Sveko Tame. Then he is, then if there's a suffix, then he's going to be considered to be Tame. So, in other words, so what was the process in order to become somebody deemed as having, uh, to being a Mitsora? Is that you had to have a skin discoloration, which was at least the size of a gris, which is basically a type of bean. Um, and that was, uh, a large enough, you know, area. Some people say that it had to have that you could have 36 hairs there, okay? And you had to have some type of skin discoloration, right, with other symptoms like a white hair, uh, you know, the, the skin would look a certain way. This is all described in Masachet uh, Negaim, okay? If you don't have those additional symptoms, then the person who just has the skin discoloration would basically be quarantined for a week. And then the, the, this area would basically be re-examined. If it had spread a little bit, then the coin would basically say that he's actually a confirmed Mitsora, okay? Um, and again, if you could be confirmed that just by having it being, uh, you know, that if it's confirmed as Sarad, it's confirmed as leprosy because of the spreading, right? It could also be um, uh, cleared, you could also be told that you're Tahor, right? If the whole area basically increased uh, beyond the original size there. So basically what this mission is talking about a case is where there's a discussion about whether or not there is spreading, okay? And whether the original uh, area of discoloration though had actually receded. So that's what it's basically talking about here. Um and so again, the, the Gemara here is just basically going to want to know why do we have a presumption of, of, of Tahara as opposed to Tuma when that person is waiting? Um, and it's based on a Pasuk, basically, right? That's what the Gemara tells us because the Pasuk says, Lataro o Latuma. And because Tahara is there first listed in the Pasuk, so it means that we sort of just give somebody a presumption of Tahara. We don't make them tame if there is a. Um, if there is a uh, a, a suffix, um, and uh, uh, you know, but um, and then they're going to connect it with another Mishnah that comes up later. Um, so I'm going to move on now to the next Mishnah, right? And this, the first part of this Mishnah actually comes is also appears in Zavim, uh, Paragvet Mishnah Bet, and it it talks about an exemption from Tuma for a flow of, of, of a ziva that's caused by other factors, okay? So what's a zav again? I know we've explained this before. When a man has some type of flow of discharge, that's called a ziva, you know, from his penis, he's basically tame as a zav. Um, and a zav, it's, it's a certain type of tuma, and also they can make other things tuma. Once you have the status of a zav, you can make other things tuma. If you sit on it or lie down on it, even if you don't touch it, directly. So basically, if you have two of these flows, okay, then you are, you have to count seven days with no flow, with no discharge or anything like this. And then you have to go to the mikvah. If it happens three times, okay, then you actually have, you wait those seven days, you go to the mikvah and you have to bring a korban as well. Okay. Um, but for all of these sort of like 
uh, additional, all of these, the, the flows in order to have these discharges count as separate ones, they cannot be separated by a full day. So let's say you have a discharge on Sunday, right? It can't be combined as a second one if the next one happens, uh, you know, happens on a Wednesday, okay? Because it's too far apart from each other. And so therefore, you would not have to do the seven full days because they weren't actually connected with each other. Um, uh, so that so that's basically what this is uh, what this is talking about. But what the there's basically what the rabbis learn is is that if that second discharge could somehow be caused by something else, right? It does not make the person uh, a zug, um, and that that's exactly a point here. So even though if there's this original discharge, that's basically treated just like you had a seminal emission, which does make you um, uh, tame in a very, very different way, okay? Um, but you would have to have the second one uh, in order to be, and not by any other reason, to actually get the status of a zub. Okay, the last thing I want to mention is, is that if the zub is, um, if the zub has that first discharge and it was caused by some external factor, okay, um, then um, it, it, it cannot count, it does count towards one of the three that makes you have a, that makes you have to bring a korban, okay, sorry, it does not count as one of the three that makes you bring a korban, okay, but the third one could, so in other words, you have to have the first two have to be free from any type of other reason why you could have had this discharge. The third one, the third discharge could be one of any type. Okay. And so what this Mishnah is basically dealing with is looking at or examining what could be the cause of this discharge, right? So there were, the Zab was examined in seven ways. As long as he has not been confirmed to be Tame from the Ziva. Okay. So the machal so they checked the, his food and his drink. The the if he did any special carrying, jumping, or if there was an illness, or if there was a sight, or if there was a thought. So in other words, there's a series of questions that happen, right? That they want to make sure that this discharge that happened wasn't caused by something else. So, so for example, foods, right? Uh, the the idea is that there's certain foods that more likely could cause some type of uh, some type of discharge, like fatty meat, milk, cheese, uh, things like that. Uh, if you exert yourself in a certain way, it also could generate it as well. Um, uh, so these are the types of questions that they're basically asking. Misha Niska Kaklaziva. Once he's been confirmed to be tame, right from this discharge. We don't examine him. So therefore, what literally means onso, his uh, his mishap, okay? But what it means is, is that if he has a third one, okay? Uh, you know, even if he has this third just, right? And it's even due to one of these other factors, right? It's still considered to be uh, a, a ziva. It's still considered to be a discharge. He's not going to be checked uh, he doesn't have to be checked again, okay? Or if there's doubt, or if he has some type of um, meaning doubt, you know, meaning whether or not it was an actual seminal discharge, okay? Um, he's considered tame. 
since it has legs to stand on it. So again, this is why this mission appears here because it has okay? Now, what's a little bit weird here is using this term of okay? Because the discharge was always confirmed as a sub and he's already tame. So here it's not a presumption. He, of course he's a sub. So it's a little bit odd how they use it here and you can look at the commentators to explain that. Okay, now the next part of this Mishnah actually comes from Sanhedrin, okay, which talks about um, uh, a certain a certain liability to the death penalty. Okay, so it says the following: Hamaket somebody hits his friend, hits another person, and the doctors, you know, can assess and basically see that the person who he hit is going to die. Vahakel. But then his condition actually improves. But then after that, he worsens and then he dies. The attacker is still chayab. So in other words, even though originally he thought he was going to die, then he turned a corner and got better. And then he dies. That person who hit him is actually going to still be chayab the death penalty. Rav Nechem Yomer, Pator, he says he's exempt. Again, this phrase of right? Because there is an assumption, you know, you can sort of logically say, well, maybe he didn't die because he was hit because he was attacked. He might have died from something else. Okay. So uh, that's basically what this Mishnah does. And what's again, interesting about this Mishnah is, is that it's sort of, um, it quotes different Mishnayos. Again, we have a Mishnah from Zavim and a Mishnah from Sanhedrin. We'll get into the Gemara tomorrow. But, you know, we haven't learned any of Zavim yet, but this is probably the most complicated thing we've done so far about the case of the Zav and exactly sort of trying to understand how the Zav is determined. But I think it is interesting to see that they do look for other factors or they look to see, is there any, was there anything in the history uh, that might have caused uh, this discharge? So again, I'm feeling like, whoa, so much to learn that we still don't know. Uh, like in in the context of Tuma and Tara, now Zub, like it's a whole new category. Not new, we've seen it before, but not in the way that we're going to see it again. And I feel like, yeah, I found this to be complicated, both in preparation and I think you did a fine job, really, in, in pulling it apart for everybody. But I don't think that this was simple, simple text. No, this is not simple text. This is a complicated Mishnah. It really, really is. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to our venue, Michelle Farber, for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.